Turn your kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution with all the features of a high-end gaming table at a fraction of the cost. To find out more, go check out GameToppersLLC.com. Hey, y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Boo! Did I scare you? If I didn't, maybe this episode will. Today, the guys review Gates of Delirium, Loomtown, War of the Worlds, Last Bastion, and Epic Spell Wars. Plus, there's a scurry report for Tapestry. Hello, and welcome to the 183rd episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This one is called So Far Away. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. And Tony is having to start reaching for these song titles because now the song title has really nothing to do with the game we're going to talk about. It's actually the album it came from. Actually, the title does have something to do with the game we played. Okay, I'm just going to stop assuming I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about because you do know what you're talking about. All right, so talk us through this, Tony. Why so far away? First off, the album is Tapestry by... Carol King, right? What game are we going to be talking about? Must be Tapestry. Must be, yes. So, and oh, an incredible album. I did not know that James Taylor recorded so much with her. I did not know that on this song, and it's one of those things that I didn't know the song until I went and listened to it. And on mm-hmm. the YouTube description, it says that James Taylor played guitar on it. But no, I didn't realize that either. It was him, Carol King, and um, Janis Joplin. They were like the, the big trio. Oh, okay. They were doing, doing a bunch of stuff back then. I believe that's uh, Janis was part of that. But yeah, so th- we have uh, uh, So Far Away. And how it ties in is what I felt like. So far away, nothing really matters, right? <laughs> I, I can't sing it. I know that. And I haven't, I've tried for 183 episodes and I still can't do it. No, I, I'm laughing at why you said so far away because it may have to do with the scores in Tapestry. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it all ties together. <laughs> Look, well, we also could have used that on last episode. When we talked about Predaporter because my score was so far away from everyone else. It worked because when we played Tapestry, it was... Nate was so far away, <laughs> it really didn't matter. <laughs> Tapestry is the hot game, right? And you, and if you're listening to this show, you probably listen to other podcasts. I would hope so to get this bad taste out of your mouth. And probably a lot of them have already talked about Tapestry. So we're going to put our spin on it. In fact, we uh, decided to do a scurry report with this one where we have Mark and Nate to come in and talk about it. Hopefully you may hear some new ideas. They won't come from me and Tony, but they'll probably come from Mark and Nate. So hopefully they'll shed some light on maybe some topics other people haven't talked about when it comes to this game. Yeah, I hope they shed some light on it because, well, it it was interesting. Well, we'll leave it like that. It was a very interesting experience. I want to play it again, as I said, in the Scurry reports. Of course it will. This is definitely one of those games that... You don't play just once because it's one of those things with all the different factions and the different ways that can be played. Every time you sit and play this game, it will be totally different. Obviously, we'll get into that into it. But yeah, so we're just kind of setting up for that discussion that'll be coming up later in the episode. I'm sorry. I'm a little distracted. I'm setting up for another segment. We're going to talk about a game that we got from Cryptozoic and it's uh, the... Epic Battle of the Wizards, Wizards, I'll get the name right when it gets there, and my eyes are hurting again from these cards and the (laughs) words, and I'm hearkening back to when you and I were playing this. We couldn't get through the game because of our reactions to the cards and you taking pictures to share with people. (laughs) It is, uh, 
that's another interesting game. The word interesting is going to be used a lot uh, in, in this episode, and we'll, we'll get into why we thought it was so interesting uh, when we get to that that uh, segment. Yes. Also, in that uh, same time uh, that we played that, we also played another really cool game, uh, Bloomtown, that we'll be talking about too. That was kind of a pleasant surprise when I found, especially when I found out it's from the designers of Flam Rouge, which is why I was excited to get it to the table. And Bloomtown was kind of interesting that I, you let me borrow and take it to the beach, or I got to spend some days at the beach 80 some degrees in october at the beach is is incredible nice so don and i got to play that so i can't wait to share her thoughts with you about that oh very cool very cool i can't i can't wait to hear them well, did you play anything else at the beach yes we did we played a lot at the beach because you can only have so much sand and surf when you're there but we played um one of our favorites is the rose king so i took that again why is it now i don't know if vanessa does this the first time that I reintroduce a game to her or introduce a game to her, I can pretty well win, okay? Because she's learning the nuances of the game and everything. Mm-hmm. But the second time we play, she usually kicks my butt. The Rose King was that way. She couldn't remember how to play the Rose King. And, and the first time I wiped the floor with her and she wasn't a very happy camper. She says, well, set it up. We're going to go again. And I think Vanessa was that way with the game y'all played recently, right? Where you had the rule wrong? Actually... The first time we play a game together, Vanessa always wins. It's a running joke in our family and has been for years. The first time any of us sit down and play a game, guarantee Vanessa will be the one that wins. Is it because you're concentrating on making sure the game is being played right? No, it's just because I suck the first time I play a game and she just picks up on that stuff quickly. So yeah, we got to play the Rose King and then we went in and played Lost Cities, a two-player game by Reiner Canizia that I've had on the shelf for a long time. That one didn't go over very well. That, that one may be at Mega Moose Con on the sale table. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know if you've played Lost Cities. Um, I thought she'd enjoy it. It's a simple card game. It fell flat with both of us. No, I, I've played it. I thought it was a good game. We didn't get to the table um, another game that uh, hopefully you and I will get to play. It's an exploration game. It left my mind what it was. And then we also... <laughs> co- left a really good impression, eh? I learned the rules, but we didn't get a chance to play it. But one we did get to play that floored us was besides bloomtown was dizzle by stronghold games have you played that one yet i have uh i've played it with you no you haven't i've played it with somebody it wasn't me because this was the first time i've ever played it i took the shrink off of it it's a roll and write correct well it's a roll in place and then cross out so what what game do you think you played with me Tell me about dizzle so i can say yes you have or no you haven't it was a gen con one night i was sitting down with Scott Alden from BGG and some other people, and they taught me how to play it. Okay. It's the one with the uh, the score pads where each of the sheets are a little bit different. You have various levels, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Yes, yes. So, yes, I have played it. And do you remember the concept of it where one player, you ha- you go to the individual rounds based on the number of players, but one player rolls the dice. Mm-hmm. Then instead of writing, you take a dice from the pool and you place it on your score sheet. And there's certain rules about where you have to place it. And the next person goes and he places a die and it goes around the table. And then that person then has to be able to place another dice from the pool next to the dice they've already placed to build a dice cluster. You have the opportunity to re-roll the dice if none of those are working for you. But if you fail and cannot place the re-roll, then you have to remove a dice from your sheet. Yep. Once everybody has passed, 
then everybody marks little X's on where you place the dice. And I can see where maybe there could be a time where people forget where they place the dice. So you need to be make sure to do that. And depending on if you cover up a gem, you get extra points. If you cross out a key and unlocks a path to another series on the board. If you match two puzzle pieces, you get uh, so much. If you complete a row or a column, you get so many points depending on the score sheet. I really enjoyed this roll and place and write game. Really enjoyed it. This was one that caught me off guard uh, too, because I'm not a big roll and write fan. And I, it's one of those things, yeah, I'll play. But after I played, I went, okay, this was really u- unique. I, I love the mm-hmm. kind of the drafting of the dice, putting them in place. And then, and like you said, the unlocking of the keys, having to get a key so you can unlock a path, which you might can use for scoring later on and having to place beside an existing dice. And it gets frustrating because of the rules that are in place. And it's like, I don't have the dice I need. Well, I'm going to take a chance and roll and it fails. And you got to remove an existing dice off the, off the pad. Yeah. That's one of those. I went straight over to stronghold and that's where I, I got a copy from. Because I enjoyed it so much. It surprised me also on the amount of strategy in that game. Because if you place a dice, because when you first put a dice, it has to be next to an X on your sheet. If that dice is placed and there's no other place to go around it, that it is now sealed off, blocked, closed in, whatever word you want to use, then you may start another cluster somewhere else on that sheet. And that's a very important strategy that you have to take into account because you need to see which dice are out there. And nothing is more frustrating in that game than seeing a big combo of dice that you can lay out there with plenty of options, and that person picks those dice up (laughs) and rolls them. All that frustrated me. I was like, this stinks. Donna beat me the first time we played it. The second time I beat her, she... Rank that up there with her um, Gonsan Clever and um, Twice as Clever. Also from Stronghold. She likes the Stronghold kind of rolling right games, eh? Yeah, she, Stephen can keep putting them out, and I'm sure I'll keep playing them around here. Nice. But going to the beach, Marty, let me tell you something. All right, tell me something. There is a conspiracy going on right now. Oh. Well, as we were leaving, uh, she needed to um, get something to eat. So we stopped in at Bojangles, and I said, well, we're going to go to Bojangles, so let's um, get something to eat real quick. And I picked up you know, two sausage biscuits, an order of de- uh, bow rounds, and I got a big old Pepsi because I knew, well, that was not a smart move for a four-hour drive to the coast. And for those who aren't familiar, Bojangles is a local southern chain restaurant known for its fried chicken and biscuits. And I don't know if you've been to the Bojangles on 160 at 485 for everybody Googling. You can Google where that's at. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but they do an outstanding job on the removal of their biscuits from the oven at a certain time. I mean, they come out, they are, they're not hard on the bottom. They're flaky. Oh, they are so good. Oh, mm. so anyway, we're going on and we get to Wadesboro on Highway 74. I know everybody's like, well, hurry up and get to the end of this story. I am. (laughs) Because I don't know these landmarks at all. I know you don't know, but we have to do a potty break. I said, well, let's stop at Bojangles in this town because I know that's a very clean Bojangles. Why do I know it's clean? Because I've been there and it's new. Okay. And you were going to take your cup and refill it for free, weren't you? Maybe. Oh, that is wrong. I might have. Maybe I just got water. You don't know. You weren't there. Wow. But as we pulled in, they had an advertisement and it said Bowberry Biscuits. 
Shaped like footballs. Yep. Two for a dollar. That's a bargain. That's a bargain. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you don't know Bojangles, you don't know what a Bowberry Biscuit is. Bowberry Biscuit is simply a biscuit with blueberries in it with a sweet, what would you say, glaze? It's a, a vanilla frosting or cream cheese frosting sort of thing put on top. But very thin. It's not thick. Right. But it's, oh, oh, but they are so good. They pour it on there from a bottle and then it just kind of melts into it because mm. the biscuits are hot. Mm. Mm. So Donna says, well, why don't, since you might be getting a refill on your drink with water, <laughs> why don't you get us some Bowberry biscuits? And I said, okay, I can do that, baby. I can get us some Bowberry biscuits. That sounds like a good, you know, uh, 11, uh, uh, halfway breakfast, whatever the hobbits call it. Second breakfast. Second breakfast. Elevensies. Um, and I went up there and I go, I'm sorry, sir. We don't, we don't have any more Bowberries. What is your oven broken? What's going on here? No Bowberry biscuits? And they said, no, we don't have any more Bowberry biscuits. I'm like, get out of here. And they said, no, you get out of here with your cup. And I said, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is unreal. They don't have any, bo- how can you not have Bowberry biscuits? But that's not the best part of this story. On the way back. Yeah, I'm still waiting for it. On the way back, we stop at the Bojangles for a potty break in Marshville. I can picture the one you're talking about, too. We stopped there. I didn't have a cup this time, by the way. <laughs> you didn't save it from a couple days ago and leave it in the car? <laughs> no. Okay. I did not. And on the way back, and I stop, and the girl goes, we're out of Bowberry biscuits. It's going to take six minutes to cook some up. It's a conspiracy. They did not want me to have Bowberry biscuits. They have all these banners, but no Bowberry biscuits. So we filed a complaint. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I went online to the Bojangles, oh send us gosh. a comment and said, how can you not have Bowberry biscuits? I'm a grumpy old man. I should have my Bowberry biscuits when I want my Bowberry biscuits. You could have waited six minutes and those suckers would have been hot and fresh. I could have waited, but then I would have been in 485 traffic getting back to my house. Then I would have really been a grumpy man. Wow. So anyway, we had a great time at the beach <laughs> other than the Bowberry conspiracy. So here's the thing. Have you satisfied the Bowberry craving? Because once you get that, I think you have to go satisfy it or so it's going to stay with you forever. No, I got to go do that tomorrow, maybe. Yes, you do. So, And I think those are like limited time thing. It's football season. It's the limited football shaped Bowberry. Now, they also do uh, heart shaped ones too at Valentine's. Yes, they do. Now, you have a craving going on for this thing that comes out at this time of year that I actually, I know I'm an anomaly. I do not like these. No, you're not an anomaly. And that's, that's part of what I want to talk about. So just like the Bowberry football shaped biscuits are a limited time thing, McDonald's just came out with their McRib, which usually only comes out what I thought was in November, but this year it came out in the middle of October. And the McRib is a staple sandwich for our entire family every year. It's only there for a limited time. All of us like them, and we'll get like a couple over the course of the season. We never go to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. The only time I go to McDonald's is get their dollar tea half cut. I'll go through the drive-thru and get me a tea. But I never eat the food or anything like that. But when the McRib comes out, I got to have me a McRib. And I I was going to say that you're not an anomaly because I think there are two groups of people. You either really love the McRib or you think it's the most disgusting thing in the world. And I can totally see both sides. I know it's a piece of pork that's shaped like a rib. I know it doesn't (laughs) come out like that. Okay. I get that. But that barbecue sauce and onion and pickle, and it's only 430 calories. It's really not that bad. And I love that sandwich. So that is a tradition. I mean, it's one of those things that we go until they run out. I mean, last year, 
We were scrambling around to the McDonald's calling, are you out of McRibs yet? Are you out of McRibs at Rip? And we found one that wasn't. We drove all the way out there to get one before they were gone. Really? Yep. There's a limited supply and they start running out like at the end of November, beginning of December. See, I don't know if it's the pickle barbecue sauce. Is this barbecue sauce? I haven't had one in a long time. Maybe I need to go out and get one and try it again. Is it a real sweet, sweet barbecue sauce? It is on the sweet side. I don't know that it's real sweet, but it is on the sweet side, yes, which I tend to like. And I did learn something. So uh, I brought this up in our RDTN Slack channel. And somebody said, do you know the history of it? And I said, I don't. And they said, in the 90s, when the Flintstones movie came out, it was like a promotional thing that McDonald's did to promote... Uh, you know, remember they used to have the uh, Brontosaurus burgers on mm-hmm. Flintstones. So it was something to promote the movie and it was so popular. They just bring it back every year. I did not fact check that. So if anybody says that is wrong, take it up with the person in the Slack channel. And if you want to join the Slack channel to be able to take it up with somebody, just go to our out to our podpledge.com page and you can uh, join the, uh, the Slack channel there. But uh, if that's true, that's really cool. And it's just been a hit ever since. Is it a sesame seed bun? It's like a hoagie style sandwich. See, I know you can shape spam in, in many forms. <laughs> Look, they tell me it's real pork shoulder. I'm going to believe it's real pork shoulder. But they don't say which. Well, pork is pork, I guess. It's I, the I other. would think so. I would, hope I would so. think so. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't have the experience I have coming back from the beach other than the Bojangles. I stopped at Taco Bell. First mm. time I've been to Taco Bell in forever. I haven't been to a Taco Bell in a long time. Really? That's another staple for the family because you can eat a lot for cheap. I don't think that's true anymore. You get the $5 bath, the meal, it's pretty good. Okay, yeah. I, but I haven't been there, so there, we stopped and... Um uh, on the way back, we, we stopped there and I wanted something that wouldn't be, you know, when you're driving and I'm, I'm driving and I know that's not very safe to eat and drive, but I wanted something that wouldn't drip on me. Sure. And a Taco Bell burrito is mostly tortilla and some stuff in the middle. It's not going to drip on me. Life is good. So I ordered a burrito supreme and a bean burrito. Donna can open the window. So we get back after our disappointing attempt at getting bowberries at Bojangles and I get home and on the newscast, the lead-in story, Taco Bell is recalling some of their ground beef. Oh! Oh, no! <laughs> and Donna looks at me with this look of, you're very lucky we're home, <laughs> and you're in a safe place because this is not funny. What, what What is the deal with you and going to fast food restaurants like this and Hardee's when there's a health issue? That's a good point because I looked there and said, well, hey, I've had my hepatitis A shot. Because you had to do that because you went to Hardee's, which is another fast food restaurant, and, and there was a hepatitis breakout or something. And if you ate there, you had to go get a shot. <laughs> yeah, 3,000 people in Charlotte had to go get a hepatitis A because a worker there had hepatitis. So I was I, just by accident, I, well, not by accident, I stopped there because I needed a lunch on a way to a meeting. And sure enough, I got a hepatitis A for that. <laughs> but luckily, this was like in Kentucky and Tennessee. It was in the surrounding states. It had not come to the North Carolina. Good. Enough about food. Do we have any other games? <laughs> Question, though, for I, I'm curious. If you like a McRib, come out to our BGG page at 1589 and let us know or, or hit us up on Twitter at Dyson Names. I, I'm curious about what do people think of, of the McRib? It's like, blech, or oh, yeah, I love those things. That could be a poll. There you go. I made next week easy for you. That's right. I'll do a poll after you post the episode and people will try to coordinate the two after they've 
didn't listen to it for a month. But that's okay. The poll will be closed. Maybe I'll let the poll run until the McRibs run out. There you go. What other games did you get to play? It is October, right? So I'm into playing Halloween games. And to make my editing easy, give me like some sort of little Halloween sound to kind of segue into this. Go ahead. Cool. That saved me like 15 minutes of time. Okay. A new game just came out from Renegade Games called Gates of Delirium. Now, this is a Arkham-based game. And here's the theme. And see if this sounds familiar by any chance. You're playing as an investigator in Arkham. There are gates opening up and monsters are coming through it. Does that sound familiar to you in any way? Hmm. 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 <laughs> okay. Maybe. Like most Arkham games tend to have the same thing. But this isn't like uh, Mansions of Madness or Arkham Horror in that that's more of a mare trash luck-based game. This is more along the lines of Final Hour that we talked about last episode. It's more of a Euro-y type. Euro-E. Euro yeah, I'm making that up. Your OE style game. You're playing as an investigator, but what? There's a couple mechanics here that I love. One, dual action cards. You have five cards in your hand. There's a sane side. There's an insane side. Your card can be used for either one. When you take a sane action, you can do one of several things. Some of the sane cards have bits of notes. You're trying to track down letters and notes to try to figure out what's going on. And on your turn, you're going to play two of your cards. And if you play the sane side, you could put those notes down uh, on your player board and your notes count as victory points. Their notes pages are numbered from 1 to 20. If you happen to get some in consecutive order page numbers, they're even worth more points. The same side also has pieces of maps. They have a northwest, southwest, northeast, southeast pieces of map. And you play the card down in your on your board and try to create the entire map. If you do, you get a lot of points. Another thing one of the cards, saying cards can do is take part of one of your meeples or workers and put it out on the board. The board is a map of Arkham. There's Arkham, Salem, Innsport, etc. And you can put workers out there. And you're probably wondering, why would I do that? I'll come back to that. Now, that's the sane side. The insane side has actions for converting your investigators. You can take one of your investigators and replace one that's out there on the table. So if you have one out there, I can put mine out in the area and put yours back on the board or swap locations with somebody. Another thing you could do is uh, on the insane side is try to open gates. There are gates for each zone. Like there's a, a gate for Salem, a gate for Arkham, and each gate takes a certain number of cards. And you try to collect the entire set in order to say, I'm opening the gate. And when you do that, you take what the top of stack of monsters and put it on the gate and score points for it. Now, remember those guys that you put out on the board earlier, Tony? You yes. put them out on the board and on the insane side, you can swap them around. Mm -hmm. This now becomes an area majority game. When a gate to a location is open, you count the number of people in each of the area and they get victory points based on whether the first, second, or third. So this is a game that has set collection. It's a game that has area majority. And the game keeps going until five monsters have come through gates and the person with the most points wins. Now, Tony, every once in a while, there's a game that has such a simple mechanic that just takes the game and elevates. And it's like, this is so simple, but it makes it so good. Remember I said there's a sane and insane side? You may be wondering, wait a minute, which side do I play? The person who was the first player 
decides whether every player at the table plays the sane or insane side of their cards that round. And what's the advantage to that? Because then you can decide. It's like, man, I've got all these cards in my hand. Oh, look, I've got all these pieces in the map. I'm going to play the sane side this time so I can get those out. But maybe you, as one of the other players, is like, well, shoot, I was going to open up a gate this turn and score some points. So then they can't. They have to play now the sane side of their cards. So you are totally at the mercy of the first player on which side of the card that you're going to play. And that ramps up the level of frustration. Well, no, it just ramps up the, the level of decisions that you have to make. Okay. It's like, well, shoot, of these five cards, I got to play two of them and it's got to be on okay. that side. There's this whole thing. You're moving people around all over the place because as people start opening up gates, you try to get your people over into that zone so that when it opens up, you have the most people there. Everybody could be opening gates at different areas. So you're constantly shuffling people around the board so that when it triggers, you make sure you, that you're in the spot to get points for it. Also, I didn't mention this. There's these things called desperation tokens that when you place uh, workers on the board or swap workers around using the uh, insane actions, you get these desperation tokens that can be spent. You can spend a couple of them to draw two new cards from the deck and then discard two cards. You can play uh, several desperation tokens in order to swap people out on the map, or you can just turn in desperation tokens in order to uh, get a few points. You can turn in desperation tokens to wipe all the gate cards that are on the table. They're on there. It's a, it's a market. And if there's one you're looking for, uh, you can wipe those out and, you know, try to get four new cards out there to get what you're looking for. Almost not really a deck builder, but it has that market effect to it. So the desperation tokens are kind of there to help defeat the bad luck of bad card draws. You also have the option too of spending desperation tokens to switch and say, well, you said I'm going to play sane this time. I'm going to turn in X amount of desperation tokens. I'm going to play the insane side of the card. It is a really, really good themed game that has a lot of Euro mechanics to it, but it still keeps the theme. We loved it. It was, it's good. Gates of Delirium from Renegade Games just came out. It's good, man. Did you like it? I did. I, like I said, dual action cards, I like. There's set collection. There's area majority. But then that thing of the first player decides which side of the card you're going to play, that just put it over the top. When you were reading the rules, did it strike you as one that you would like? Yes. Have you ever read rules before to something you go, holy cow, I cannot wait to get this to the table? This was one of those. Okay, good. The rules are super straightforward. They're easy to follow. I mean, it's only a few pages long. But as soon as I read it, and I read the whole thing about the multiple ways of scoring points through set collections, area majority. So there's multiple paths to victory. Oh, and there's another thing too. There's these things called scroll cards. There's three cards put out at the beginning of the game. And certain monsters will flip over their scroll cards. They permanently affect the game from then on could be some sort of positive effect or give you some extra ways to get earn victory points. So every time you play the game, you're going to have different scroll cards to make the game different. So it also has variability. How long did it play? 45 minutes, baby. Short game. Easy to set up, up and down within an hour. You going to let me play it or are you just going to hoard it? Nope. In fact, uh, we have uh, this time of this recording, we're having my big boobacue event. This Saturday, we have a bunch of people come in and play a bunch of Halloween-themed games, and we have some homemade barbecue being made. We'll play it then. Okay. 45 minutes. That's in my sweet spot right there. So was Ragusa, but that doesn't mean anything. You know when you read rules, and the rules strike you, and you're like, this game's not going to be a game for me. <laughs> was that one it? <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, it's a game where I'm sitting there thinking I'm not that stupid. But then again, after we played Tapestry, 
I might be. You might be. I might be that, that well, sad. Maybe co-op is more your speed. That's why I'm excited to hear about a game you got to play with the guys called Bastion. Last Bastion. And it's a tower defense game, sort of, kind of. As I told you, and you were like, oh, it's a tower defense game. And then you start reading it and you're like, it's not a tower defense game. And I go, well, you're in a tower and you're defending it. Yeah, but tower defense game, I think of the video games where you set up turrets and stuff and you have you know, AI things walking across the map that you try to keep from getting from one side to the other. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It's kind of it's kind of like a Castle Panic, where you have a central area and things are coming in. You're trying to defeat them. It's, it's that same sort of thing, right? Well, f- for Last Bastion, it was nowhere near that. And so I was completely wrong, other than that there's a tower. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> C- Castle Panic has a thing where you're in the middle of the board. And monsters come out and you try to defeat them. Or if you're playing Star Trek Panic, yeah, the ships yep. are trying. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a game by, um, and uh, it's a Bowser. All right. That's Antoine Bowser. Not Bowser. I didn't say Bowser. If I did, it was the Southern Drawl thing. There was no R supposed to be okay. there. Okay. Repo's production. So, yeah, you had to go home early from game night. Mm-hmm. And so Mark and Bert and I sat down to try try to play this game and when i say try if you've played ghost stories and i haven't but mark has and bert have this game is as brutal so the whole concept is you've got a deck of baddies trying to break through your defenses and you've got some heroes and you were sitting there trying to defend the the last bastion from being breached all these baddies are being placed out on the board and you're trying to defeat them and work your way through that deck, just kind of like Castle Panic, where you're trying to flip over the number of tiles until you get up to the big baddie. And then when you defeat him, everybody wins. Now, in this game, if you die, people can resurrect you. You're wounded, all right? And you flip over, and when you flip over, you lose your special ability. And But if everybody dies, which happens pretty darn quickly, let me just say that, then everybody loses. So that's it. Those are the winning conditions, Marty. Winning condition, you beat the big baddie. Losing conditions, everybody dies, or you run out of cards near the end that you can't flip over a big baddie when it's somebody's turn. Mm. Straightforward game. On the player's turn, he flips over a baddie. He puts that baddie in the right color area of the game. He then takes his hero actions, hero actions that may include like trying to fight or doing the special ability that's there in the um, bastion. There's tiles that have special abilities like raising a banner that can help defeat a certain color monster better. If you choose to fight, then you go up and wherever you are lined up, you roll dice and based on the colors that will help you defeat the baddie that you're facing. And one of the things, if you're in a corner, you can battle both big baddies. If you have enough resources, you can gather tokens that allow you to defeat them a little bit better. We played this game for about, 20 minutes and then it wiped us. We did not do a good job of managing the baddies coming out. We didn't do a good job of using the various tiles or special tiles that were there and, and changing our luck. There's like eight heroes in the game and they all have special abilities. It also didn't help that Mark, who you'll hear later in the scurry report, kept rolling the wrong colors. How do you roll four dice and score no hits? And he had three colors he needed and he couldn't do anything. And he even have a wild on one side. We basically, for two turns, Mark was useless to us. <laughs> wow, that's nice. <laughs> he did. He took his turn. And you know, I'm going to beat these guys. I'm a dwarf and I can beat these guys. Roll the dice. You hit nothing. You swung and you missed. My turn, put out a baddie. 
I tried to do my actions. My guy wasn't that powerful. His action was more about getting rid of terror. Oh, by the way, if the board is covered up, if four terrors get inside the bastion, that's the other way you lose. My guy was about remedying that. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. And to be honest with you, that's all I got to say about that. It, it gave me nightmares. So uh, Mark had played this and Ghost Stories. How did he compare it to Ghost Stories? Did he like it as much? Is it the same? Or did he say? Just about the same. He said it was as brutal. It was, you know, it made him want to try it again. Um, that, it, hey, he'll give it another shot. But if a game constantly beats you down, it's going to go in the Mega Moose Con um, flea market, you know? <laughs> Well, it's no fun. It's no, where's the, and I was thinking about it. I said, how you beat this game is you got, when you get to the baddie, the big baddie at the end, you have eight more, basically eight more turns to go through before the game ends. Well, it's supposed to be challenging if you beat it first time. That's, that's boring. Pandemic wasn't boring when I beat it. Yeah, but you didn't beat it first time. It was kind of a challenge for you. You played it until you beat it. Until I learned everything. So yeah, I think it'd be more fun with four. We played with three. The verdict is still out on this. We'll give it some more chance. I think with the with the dice, it's tough to say, oh man, you know, if we had done this or this or this, we might have won. Well, if we had rolled, we might have had a better chance. Gotcha. And that to me is like one of those games where people are gonna say, Nope, I'm out. If I've got to deal with dice and the and the random outcome is on from that standpoint, and I didn't feel the tension. Like I do in like games like Pandemic, where I'm sitting there, ooh, is that card going to be the epidemic? Is that what's coming up next? It was more or less, it became systematic, where we're going to go do this, going to do this, going to roll the dice. You know, it wasn't one of those things that was a, a whole lot of strategy. That's last last bastion from uh, Repos? Repos, yeah. I know, not a glowing review, but not all of them can be. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I got you wrong. Oh, yeah, I know you do. It's very challenging. It's a... Ch- Oh, man. If you enjoy ghost stories, give this one a try. Yeah, I was going to say, if you like ghost stories and you want something with a fantasy theme, I think everybody had their own unique character with unique abilities and everything too, right? Yeah, models are gorgeous. Cool. I I need to try that sometime. So let let me play that one sometime. Uh, It's coming to the barbecue. It's October. I'm in the mood for horror games. And one of the top ones that comes to my list is Mansions of Madness, which is why I was excited to get the Mansions of Madness crate from the Broken Token, which is this beautiful product that holds all of the base game and the expansions in this big old beast of a container. And I have just now finished putting that sucker together, which was a feat in itself. This was something that probably took three to four hours to put together on and off. I was using wood glue. I wanted to make sure it held together well, but it is done. It is complete and it looks gorgeous. The instructions were easy to follow. Everything fit perfectly. I'm just amazed at how well the Broken Token engineers their products. Everything is just fit just to the correct tolerance. So it has a nice little snug fit to it. Puts a little bit of wood glue in the in some of the joints to make sure that the important pieces stay together. I love this thing. And now this mansion's crate is actually gonna be a piece of furniture down in the basement, put sitting on top of one of my game shelves that holds all the Mansions of Madness components in it. Not only do they have this crate, but they have this crate for other games. And you can find out more about all those over at thebrokentoken.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, 
one. Tony and I got to play this brand new tile laying game called Bloomtown. This is from publisher Sidekick Games and designer Asker Grunerwood and Daniel Peterson. This is a game where you are, I don't know, Tony, it almost felt like a rolling right because you're putting things out on the board and trying to put them in certain uh, configurations to score points. What you're going to do is you got a couple tiles in your hand and you're going to place one of those tiles on your grid in order and try to score some victory points. There's different types of buildings. You're basically building a town. There are subways, which you try to get into a diagonal line. There are office buildings, which you try to set up orthogonally. There are shops where you try to get beside matching color buildings. There are residences which you want to make sure that they're around different types of buildings and then parks, which you just try to clump together. Now, Tony, this was a very simple game, right? You play a tile, you score the points, you pick up the next tile, but it's how you pick up the next tile is what's interesting because when you place the tile on your board, you're going to cover up a little space that has like a little flower shape to it. The market consists of five different tiles each representing one of the five different flowers on your board. So when you place a tile, you pick up the corresponding tile for the, the flower that you just covered. And that goes into your hand and play goes back and forth. And basically it, you're trying to score a lot of victory points. But Tony, that thing of, I need to place the tile here, but the tile that I want is not that type of flower really creates some interesting decisions. It creates a whole big decision to make because you are sitting there agonizing over that because you know that if you place this certain tile here that you'll be able to pick up a like tile that may give you better scoring in the future but if you place it there then you can take the tile from the whoever you're playing against and they can't use it there's hate drafting for sure you you have to have that because you don't want them to score also placing that tile in a certain area may create an opportunity to go again or double score yep. on certain certain areas so yes, placing that tile is the strategy of the game. That's what makes this game for me, Marty. And it's one of the things that when I was first teaching Donna this game, she was like, oh, I see the importance of this now. I see why this isn't. And she was, she was hate drafting me, man. And that was okay. <laughs> I didn't mind that because I did it in return, but it is key to this game. And there's something else you got to do as you're building the buildings. There are these special scoring tiles that will come out as you're pulling, turning them over. And if two of the same tiles comes out, like the subway tiles, you rescore all the subways. So you've got to build and you've got to be thinking about that because when those come out, that's very important. Especially because they're double points. They're double points or they will get to do something else depending on what type it is. Now, when you and I played, we didn't get to see that. When Don and I played, we had three rescoring attempts. It was insane. And if you didn't have that set up, that's the one where she wiped my board. Love this game. Great game. <laughs> you know what? One thing I like about it, and as crazy as it is, you're getting points every time you play. Every time you put a tile down, you're going to at least get one. But if you start matching the, the scoring requirements, like if you place a park beside another park, uh, the first time you place a park, you get one. You place it beside another, you get three points. You could do that with all these types of buildings. So you're always collecting points every time. And then you're keeping an eye because, it's, like you said, as new tiles pop up, if one of those is a scoring tile, you put it off to the side and then you realize, oh, shoot. Let's see. Let's say, for example, the office building scoring tile just came up. Maybe I should work on making sure I got a lot of office buildings because as soon as the second one comes up, you stop immediately what you're doing and everybody rescores their office buildings. But you don't have time. Because it may be on the next one that you pull, or you may have to sacrifice a play in order to get that out there. 
key hard decisions that you have to make there. Very good two-player game. I, I've really enjoyed it. I will like to play it with four just to see how that pans out and be able to use more of the tiles. My only knock on this game, Marty, is the shop tiles. You say it's the colors. They're kind of hard to see. And also the blue of the city tiles is very close to the purple of an, of the shop tiles. So it was kind of confusing. And I had to explain it. And I will say one last thing, and I'll turn it back to you, is make sure whoever you play understands it's when you place the tile, not after you put it down a sec another one a second time. Donna got confused, and that created uh, almost a... I was just very confused by what you just said. I'm sure you were, but I don't have a lot of time. So what, uh, close it out for me. <laughs> Yeah. So my only knock too was actually the colors. If you're colorblind, you may have trouble with this because a lot because on the shop buildings, there's two colors on the very top of the building that you're trying to get beside other buildings of the same color. So that was the only knock too. You really kind of have to analyze the tiles to make sure you understood what it was. But after that, this game is fun. It is a quick game. You set it up quickly. You probably play in what, 20 minutes? How long it take you and Tana to finish? 20 minutes. Did you just say Tana? I, I may have. Donna, sorry. I may That's okay. It. I've only been married 20 years. Because we're over years. five That's minutes okay. here, so I'm trying to wrap this thing up. So, yes, Bloomtown from Sidekick Games. If you're looking for a fun, quick tile placement game that has a lot of meaty decisions behind it, you need to go check this out for yourself. Five minute initiative is complete. So what I was trying to say, Marty, is that when Donna was placing those tiles, she was thinking that when she'd place it next to a house, she could score the house again. She kept forgetting that. That's what I was trying to say, man. Well, I'm glad we gave you the extra 10 seconds to say that. Well, we're in the regular show now. Forget this five minute stuff. We're back into the regular show. You want to talk some more food? Well, no, we can't go back to the regular show because we got our big tapestry segment coming up. Oh, okay. Welcome to a scurry report. It has been a while since Nate and Mark has joined us. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, glad to be here. Have joined us, not has joined us. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> After this game we just played, <laughs> I just don't care. Wow. <laughs> Two and a half hours. <laughs> We've hit my women. These boards really have a tactical feel to it. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> the, com the components are beautiful. Uh, the game we're going to talk about is Tapestry, a civilization game. Thank goodness the box is sitting right here so I can read it. It's designed by Jamie Stegmeyer, art by Andrew Bosley, Gulps by Rom Brown. This is copy number 18,199 <laughs> out of 25,000. We got to play it tonight. And gentlemen, let's go over the rules for this game. And in McCree's rules, the most points win. Well, that's not really the rules. That's the winning condition. Well, okay. Then as Marty always does on the rolling dice and taking names, let's hear the rules. Let's talk about what the game is. So it's, it's a civilization I style said that game. Right there. It says a civilization game where there are in most civ games, there's a tracks, right? Gentlemen, there's, there's a science track. There's a military track an exploration and a Mark. I can't read that one. Technology, technology, technology over yeah. there. Mm -hmm. 
And like in most Civilization-style games, you're going to be progressing up those tracks to get more resources to unlock things over the course of the game. I mean, the rules are really kind of straightforward, right? On your turn, you're going to have one of four different types of resources you're going to spend to move up the tracks that allow you to put some hex, hex uh, tiles on the map in order to conquer, in order to get some is it inventions or technologies? Technologies. Uh, technology cards, which gives you some extra benefits. I think one of the main things is tapestry cards, right? Tapestry cards are these things that you play each era, and there's going to be four eras that you play across. And each of these tapestry cards give you something during that era, which is a bonus. And to me, the tapestry mechanic was one of the cooler aspects of the game. Yeah, it's kind of the crazy balls aspect, right? I mean, it's it's the one that, that really makes it and pushes the game forward and kind of gives you a direction for what you want to do for your next era. Yeah, for sure. I kind of compare it to like Blood Rage. This is where the asymmetry comes through. Everybody roughly starts the same. Yeah, you have your own faction, your own capital like tile. But the, the tapestry cards are really where your strategy, your high level strategy is going to change. And that is going to give you a specific benefit immediately or typically like throughout a whole era. And that's going to shape how you play the game and how others interact. Okay. <laughs> Tony is, is a grumpy, a grumpy person. Cause as I sit here and look at the board and his, his tokens in last place, but it's not, I'm sorry. Mark's is in last place. My, my bad. Do not um, overestimate me, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here looking at the board, which way this is a really nice production. I've never seen a game board with rounded corners. That just looks nice for some reason. It's, it stands out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, it just gives it a smooth feel. It feels like I'm playing a, you know, just a streamlined engine, which is exactly what this game is. And so uh, my daughter was helping me set this up last night, and she even noticed that. She was like, oh, this has got rounded corners. That's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a nice little aesthetic. And then all the buildings are pre-painted that you put onto your tableaus at the, at the beginning of the game. At the beginning of the game is you take buildings off. And it's kind of like Scythe in as that as you take things off of your player mat, it unlocks things. And that's exactly what's happening here. As you move up the tech tracks on, some, uh, on your tableau, you're going to remove buildings and put them onto another. I'm not sure what this was called. This capital, called capital tile. Yeah, capital tile that you fill up. That gives you bonuses if you fill up certain quadrants. It gives you extra resources, allows you to score. So as you move buildings off the board, that unlocks extra resources you'll gain at the beginning of the next era. So it's just this, this whole mechanic of spend stuff, unlock stuff. And as the game progresses, you have more resources to, to work with. You have more capabilities and abilities that you can use each turn. So the first era goes pretty quick. And by the end, it's, it's going a little bit slower because you have so much to work with. It felt like it was going slow the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> For some of us. For some of us. <laughs> no, I definitely think it has a snowball effect. The first era takes, you know, probably... 15 minutes total, and you really don't feel like you have a lot to work with, but you're just setting the stage for what's to come, how your your civilization's going to evolve. By the, the last turn, I mean, the last era might have taken, you know, if you add all of our turns up, probably like 45 minutes or so. And I was five minutes of that. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, yeah. That's accurate. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, everybody's going, oh, he's grumpy. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he is grumpy. Well, it's, it's well, he's grumpy because reading uh, is fundamental. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Caveat it. He, he misread his faction ability and he, he just mis yeah. he just misunderstood it because at the end you thought you were going to get this big bonus. And then when you were reading it back, you went, 
Oh, poop. I read this incorrectly. I don't get the big bonus I thought I was going to get. Mark's over here correcting me, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, wait, what? No. And Nate's trying to help me out to keep me out of the grumpiness. And it was even going past that. I got to the point where I'm sitting in this game. I mean, you're, you're right. The game is gorgeous. Build the engine because Nate's sitting across over there comboing everything across mm-hmm. the board. I'm sitting there. Super combo. I was like, I'm like, how in the world is he doing this? And it comes down to he had this one card that let him bypass having to spend all these resources. Meanwhile, my cards are here. Hey, why don't you go out and gather some victory points? You get eight. Congratulations. What kind of crap is this? When Nate's over there rolling in resources, and I'm just like, I know I'm a terrible game player. I know that. I, I can own that. But I'm sitting there going, I cannot be this poor. But then, yeah, I am. And for me, that's both the beauty and the flaws of Tapestry. So when it's working great for you, your uh, faction that you drew at the beginning of the game and some of your Tapestry cards that maybe you drew just combined seamlessly and you start comboing off of it and you're doing these cool turns and everybody's like how are you doing that and it's amazing or you have a faction that you don't understand exactly or maybe you misread and then you didn't get the tapestry cards so maybe slide right in with that and you get four bonus victory points okay okay so if I think back and I had the isolation list, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I need to put the land masses together and configure them correctly, which means I need to explore so I can draw a lot of land mass tiles, but then I also need to conquer. So that's two tracks that I need to concentrate on. Mm-hmm. But you did. Yeah, I, you did. I, I concentrated on three. That was my mistake. I should have just done two, but is that enough to win? I don't know. So, I mean, if I wanted to jump to the end, would I play this again? Yes. Would I flip the table? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but like Nick said, I mean, it's not even just your uh, faction and the tapestry cards, but even the tech cards. You yeah. combine those three elements together where there might be a tech card that allows you to unlock a building that works with the tapestry where if you place this building, you get to generate points. And if you fill up a slot on the grids on the board that may open up an extra resource that you can use next turn to take something you know so it's just one of those things that builds upon itself over the course of the game i mean there are a lot of uh, euros that are you know kind of like that as the game progresses it gets there's a lot of more mechanisms moving together that you can combine i, I don't know we were talking about at the beginning it's like does it make sense to try to move up every track does it make sense to move, concentrate on two tracks? You probably can't do them all. And, and we got the kind of advantages as we're talking about this game later than a lot of other people. So I've got to talk to other people about the game. A lot of people say, yeah, well, you're not going to focus on, uh, you're not going to try to do them all the different four tracks. You probably focus on a couple. I tried to do all the four tracks. The, the last time I played, uh, I concentrated on one track. I almost made it to the end and I did much better than i did this time this time in the early game i was concentrating on each of the tracks i got to the second level on each of the tracks and made it to the top on a couple and made it to the middle on a couple uh but it didn't work out for me so i, I don't know that that's the way to yeah in terms of strategy i think two to three tracks is what you really need to focus on in a four-player game that that could be completely different in a different player and it's now. probably one of those things you gotta gotta decide early Maybe based on the faction that you got or some tech that you got, like you did, Tony. You decided probably early on with the isolationist, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. If I just read this card correctly, it would have been worth 30 more points to me. But Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I, I bypassed technology. I was like, okay, I knew I needed to do military. I mm-hmm. knew I needed to 
do the exploration, but I got behind there. I don't know why I jumped on science so early. I think it was because you goaded me into getting a building for some odd reason to fill I, up my... I, I didn't goad you into yeah, anything. Yeah, oh, he's going to get that next. He's going, yeah, right. It's right there. Because but, I got a bonus if you got a building. So, so I'm sitting there. But a then, landmark. But then my tapestry cards, which are something you play at the end of the era where you do it, they're all saying, well, you've got X amount of technologies. You get this amount or you get this benefit. I'm like, I bypassed all this. So I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, so much for that. I mean, once again, it's a beautiful game. Well, it's it's more. <laughs> look, look, this is, this is, is, this is a more. good, solid Euro game with a lot of variability in it. Because every time you sit down and play, you'll probably play a different faction. You're definitely going to see some different tapestry cards probably working with you. You're going to see different tech cards. So every time you sit down and play, it could be a totally new experience. Uh, now, I have been doing a lot of reading because we have played it later. Is like people have been saying, are the factions not necessarily unbalanced, but are some a little bit easier to play than others or better than others? Now, I, I showed you guys a spreadsheet at the beginning of the game on BGG where over a, over a thousand plays have been made and they calculated all these stats. And I said, now, according to these stats, here's the way that we should finish. And we finished that way. Nate took the one that would have had that on the average had the most points. I had the second most, you had third, and Mark had fourth. Now, uh, granted, it, it probably just happened that way, but it's just interesting that according to the general stats, the our four factions finished in the same rankings as it did on this uh, spreadsheet that I read. I, I totally think that's the way that it's going to happen. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I do. I, I just think there are a lot of moving parts, and it's highly variable with a ton of randomness thrown in, and so I could see where. You know, in certain combinations of the game, like y your faction can be competitive, even if it's the lowest win rate, for right. sure. So I, I view it more as like a challenge. I mean, is it uh, unbalanced, which is kind of a bugaboo word? Sure, but in a Civ game, I don't think that's that important. Um, in a Euro game, it's very important. So it really depends on how you approach this game. If you're approaching this from a crunchy standpoint where you're like converting cubes into VPs and you want to have that Euro feel of complex Euro game, I don't think you're going to be all that satisfied with Tapestry because it has unbalanced stuff and lots of randomness. But if you're looking for a roughly two hour, and we'll talk about that maybe in a bit, Civ game, then maybe you don't care because Civ games, 4X games, or whatever you you know you think this game is, they don't really care that much about being finely tuned balanced machines. It's actually a perfect segue because it's going to thing I brought up. So this is called Tapestry, a Civilization Game. So when I think of Civilization Game, I immediately think of like Sid Meier's Civilization board game. I think of Clash of Cultures. Do you think this falls into the same aspect as that type of Civ game? And I ask because a lot of people have said this is a Civilization based a civilization themed game, but it doesn't feel like a Civ game is like those do. I think I agree with that. I do get a civilization feel from this game, but I do feel like it is streamlined, mm. you know, and, and I think it's uh cut down, I guess would be a, a good word for, for the way I feel about it. If I'm really in the mood to play a crunchy, crunchy Civ game, then I'm probably going to do classic cultures. Uh, if I don't have time for that, 
then I'll probably throw this on the table and, and, and get to it. I'll offer a counterpoint. To me, it's been streamlined to the point where I do not feel like this is a Civ game like those other games. I think this is a Euro engine builder with a Civ theme. There's a number of things that don't really give me that Civ feel. When I play a Civ game, I feel like I should have kind of a story coming out of it. Like the text being random and not really having a feeling of tech progression. That doesn't give me a feeling of like having a Civ thing. The way the tapestry cards kind of randomly come out, I mean, you could have a monarchy at the fourth age or at the first age, and it doesn't really inform like how your civilization progresses. You have things on the map, but they don't really seem to matter all that much. Like I, I just don't feel like I'm my sieve is that much different than Tony's sieve. We did different things from a strategy point of view, but are our sieves different? Not, not really. Or you can have a civilization like Marty's who was into the space age but had no clue how to make nails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was still trying to research nails, but I already had a space shuttle in place and ready to go to space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what is going on over there in that civilization? Uh, the thing with the uh, the Civ part for me was actually the, uh, the conflict on the board. Now, typically in Civ games, you have units that you build up, you move into somebody's area, and there's some sort of combat. Here, it's not really that. You can only have two buildings in one tile and you could just basically go in there and say, I conquer this tile, lay the person's other, if there's another token in there, lay their token down and you're standing up and controlling it. That's pretty much the extent to me. When I picture Civ, like clash of cultures, when it comes to combat, there's this whole phase of like, we're chunking dice and comparing strengths and well, and they can attest to this. Most games like that, the biggest time suck is mm -hmm. resolving the combat. Yeah. Uh, you think about, uh, Oh my gosh, I can't I can't think of the name of the 40K. Oh, Forbidden Stars. Forbidden yeah. Stars. What's the biggest time sink in that? It's, it's combat resolution. Combat. Yeah. So if you can cut cut that down to almost nothing in the game, mm -hmm. then you can cut the game time down. I feel like it's not only combat that's been like sanded off to a fine sheen though, but it's also like everything. So I I do feel like I'm playing a Civ game, but I'm playing it without my contacts or like I have foggy glasses on. It kind of looks like one, but it's so fuzzy and so far away that it could be confused for almost anything. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Remember when he played Hedera, which is like a really, really, really light Civ game? To me, it has that feel of like, here's a Civ game. You've got these tech tracks and stuff. You'll do a little bit of conflict and, and that's it. To me, this is several steps above that, but it's kind of that, kind of that same concept. Here's the theme of a Civ game. That gives you that feel, but with not the full Civ aspect. And, to, and you're exactly right. The biggest... Uh, slow down in any Civ game is combat resolution. And here it's it's nothing and goes pretty quickly. Well, the military combat here was rolling two dice and getting to pick either victory points or a resource. Yeah, but typically in, in those types of games, you're, you're comparing strength against defense and rolling you know off, and that just doesn't exist here, which which a lot of people may like. Right. right. Yeah. Now, did any of y'all have the trap cards? I did. And you, Oh, what was that? I didn't get that one. Uh, the trap card was if there's somebody who's coming to conquer you, then... Oh, you Stop could. Them. You can cancel I actually it. played one on my board. I just put it down for ten points. I actually had one, but I had so many tapestry cards. Whenever you conquered me, I forgot about it. <laughs> well, maybe wow. maybe that's the uh, beer, but I'm I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, I, did, it didn't matter. You won. Well, fair. Yeah, that's true. I will say that if you play this game, get a lot of tapestry cards in your hand. You, you know, have a have a choice when it comes because you only get to play three. Uh, and so you want to have a good choice and, and lots of times, depending on the ones that you draw will determine the strategy that you're going to play for that era. So it's one of those things that there's a lot of places on the board to get tapestry guards and it's 
called Tapestry probably for that reason, because that's that's a really game changers, whichever one that you play. Yeah, and they're extremely like situational, and, and the point value you can get from them and benefit from them very wildly. It's like I, I drew a few Tapestry cards throughout in the middle of the game that were worthless. And that's okay if you draw enough of them, but if you only have two and have to play one, you could be stuck with two worthless cards or nearly worthless cards. So I agree with Marty. It's a like, key point of the game to have a bunch of choices so you're not stuck in that corner. So a positive for me on this game is I do enjoy where I'm having to go and make a hard choice about how to spend the resources. Do I want to spend an additional resource to get that bonus action that they've put on the board? Or do I want to spend all those resources and advance up that track during this era? Now, one thing I don't like, and everybody knows this, this is no secret, is I hate Tetris type actions in a game. And my little put a building over here and avoid the red dots. I, I can see that, but that didn't really hinder me. I never saw it as a Tetris. M- most of the times you're putting on single buildings from your board that just oh, take up that, one was spot. that my mistake? Not getting all those single buildings out there. Oh, I, okay. Well, yeah, we'll well, score you I mean, some points it, if you had. And generally, I agree with you, Tony. I, I'm not a person that likes a Feast of Odin. I just uh, abhor that uh, game. But because it's like one building at a time, most of the time, I didn't have much of a problem with it. And it's not a huge part of the game in my Mm-mm. opinion. Well, and I guess the reason why is I've got some of the landmarks and I'm looking at them. I'm like, well, I can't use all of it because of where these dots are. And then when I put in a first landmark in, I blocked another session because I'm trying to get victory points off this other track. And oh, good gosh. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> what a pain in the ass. <laughs> you can bleep that out. I know. <laughs> Or not. <laughs> or not. I don't care. Oh, no. Please don't. Please don't. Oh, put the bell in there. I don't care. Oh, man. It, it was neat. I, I will Happy. agree with you, though, that the resource management in the game is probably where the majority of the tension is. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to keep it all straight that I need a person here and a star here, and then I've got to have two other resources and just trying to manage that, I think, is where the tension is in the game. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll jump in here and say that one thing we haven't talked about is at its heart, this game is not just an engine builder, but a race game. Mm. For me, the tension is racing up those tracks, seeing who can get to the landmarks first, because you've wasted some amount of resources if you come in second place on a yes. track. And so that's where, to me, I would jump up right before the landmark and then wait till somebody join me on that space in order to jump across the finish line. Because this is a race game. It's an engine builder, but it's also a race game. And, and those I, are the two I, main tension points. And that's one of the, like the exploration. Marty got to that landmark for us and I was right. Oh man, I, if I could have gotten there a little bit sooner, I would have gotten it. So I held back. Was that a good decision? Probably not, but that's fine. And it's funny uh, because of the uh, faction that I had, which was I wanted you guys to build landmarks. I would get up to the point and stop. And want, uh, wanting y'all to leapfrog me and take it because then I would gain resources. That was just a special thing that my faction had. And I netted a lot of resources and a lot of points by letting y'all take the landmarks instead of, instead of me. Again, the faction will kind of dictate how you play. And then Nate's card over there with the technology. Oh, I'm going to forge off of your technology. And then I'm going to keep that technology over here. Yeah, that definitely formed my like gameplay. I played more of a tech-based game and... Yeah, and in that part, that's a huge benefit of the game, right? Like, you're going to play a different game every time based on your faction, tapestry cards you get, the techs that come out. That replayability is a huge boon for me. You know what would be interesting, and I, I mentioned this before we started recording, is if you wanted more of a Euroy thing, is don't use a faction. 
And then everybody starts out and plays the exact same game. The only thing that's really different are the tapestry cards at that point. So some people may be thinking, you know, it's like, man, these, these factions, which now I need to know which one to take because some of them get more points than the others. Well, I guess in theory, you wouldn't have to use a faction at all. Maybe even for your first game, that would be a good idea. I don't know. Oh, just to learn the mechanics. Because when we pick factions, we had, I mean, I don't, I like the asymmetry. I say, give me a faction and if it, is the my demise, then at least I had fun trying to fit a strategy around it. But, you know, when you choose that faction at the beginning of the game on your first game, you have no clue what you're choosing. So maybe the first game. No, I'd always want to play a faction. I, yeah, I wouldn't want to play without a faction. I just said it was an option. You can house rule. You can. Just saying. You can just do whatever you want. You your can game. play without cubes if you wanted to, but <laughs> wouldn't be smart. Wouldn't be little, prudent. Or the little TARDIS <laughs> figures or whatever else we got sitting out conquest here. conquest, Mark. Let's play without tiles. Now, the game that we played tonight, the box says you're going to play 90 to 120 minutes for one to five players. There is a solo mode in it. Took us about two and a half hours. Which I would think probably with four players, you're going to be in the two to two and a half hour range. Yeah, if we typically. play a game right now, I think we can do two hours, which was better than I expected. I'd heard some horror stories of three, four, even five hour games oh, with, on the higher player go, count. Oh. There could be some serious AP in this, yeah. right? And none of us really had AP. Well, the nice thing is, is by the time it got to you, a lot of decisions that were made that y'all made didn't really change what I was going to do. Unless maybe you leapfrogged somebody and took a landmark I was going to take, but typically I knew on my turn, I'm going to go up this track and I'm going to do this and it's going to be Tony's turn. Which I really like in a Civ game. Like, games that where you can't plan ahead because the game state is so, like, dynamic and chaotic. Yeah, in a game like, if I'm playing two and a half hours, you better let me plan my turns ahead in advance. And this game really allows for that, which is great. Now, you could it could cause you to have to rethink your turn if someone moves on a track and you're like, ooh, now if I hold off and wait for it to come back around, maybe that'll happen. Oh, and back to Tetris, orienting the little tiles for the map and trying to score those points. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know it took all of like 10 seconds. I know. So it was horrible. That it's, you're going to get like either oh, three no, wait, or oh, four points. Oh, wait, oh my is, gosh. Uh, is, is, that, is that island touching that way? Wait, is that a land touching over there? I think is the that real, a meadow or is that a forest? I think the real problem is it took like 150% of Tony's brain power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm sitting there trying to maximize the points on that. And you're looking at the tiles thinking, how am I going to maximize? I need that resource, but I need to connect those. And you're sitting there. Uh, How'd that work out for you? It didn't. But that's fun <laughs> for a lot of people. I mean, that's yeah. like playing Carcassonne. And that that is one thing. This game has like a ton of other little mini games baked into it. Like your tile placement. You're doing the Tetris thing on your capital board. You're doing your engine builder. You're conquering kind of, not really. But you're doing a lot of uh, different things like that. One thing I thought was interesting too is that um, as everybody's spending their resources, at any point in time, you can decide, well, I've spent all the resources I want to. I'm going to pass. And when you pass, you go into the income phase for the next era. And there's these steps where you get to activate your civilization, play a new tapestry card. You can upgrade some tech. Uh, you'll gain some income and some victory points, and then it moves on. So there are certain states in this game where you might be in era number three and everybody else might be in era number two, which means what happens is what happened at the end. Mark and Tony were basically done with the game. And then it was just me and Nate left. And then I was done. We had to wait on Nate to finish. So I was worried about, oh, is there going to be a lot of downtime? There really wasn't. No, I mean, we only no. took like a couple extra turns. But I thought that was an interesting aspect where somebody can move into an era before somebody else does. Yeah. And I think that's a huge, another huge like uh, benefit of this game. And that's a Stonemeyer like hallmark is 
having like continuous turns where people, there's no like set, like, okay, everybody do the income, everybody do their turn, everybody do upkeep. A lot of games are like that, especially Euro games. I applaud Stonemaier for having games where you take your turn and you have a couple different options. So as we started the game, I was having fun. I was enjoying the game. I was getting into it. Uh, when we started the game, when we started I was the having game, fun. I was Everything having fun. was great. Everything was good. And then we took turn number two. Then we yeah. took turn number two. It was downhill from there. Anyway, for I was, Tony. I, but I'm going back to, I'm sitting over here thinking, how is he doing that? How is Nate? And so then that level, we stopped worrying about, about Nate. Worry about your own board. It wasn't, I didn't have to worry about yours or Mark's. I had well, to worry no, about, that's uh, true. No, okay. <laughs> but no, it's like, what am I missing? How am I not getting the same type of results? Because obviously it's out there. And so that's when you start thinking, okay, what am I doing wrong? And that's when that fun curve for me <laughs> starts diving. <laughs> it takes a negative slope. It takes a negative slope. <laughs> now, Say, McGree, would you put this back on the table and play it again in a heartbeat? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had had fun playing it at the beginning. Got pissed at the end because of uh, reading is fundamental. But I would definitely play this game again. Well, well that was a, that was the flip. I mean, same thing happened when we played. So would you please say that? Exactly. When we played Preda Porter <laughs> and I scored horribly. 22 points to would you have 400? Oh, stop. So, it was some ridiculous like that. Yeah. But no, I totally get that. And when you're sitting there and it's like, there is no way I'm going to win this game. I mean, it, it, and it's like, but we still got, you know, 45 minutes to go, but oh, now yeah. I have to finish it out. No, I totally get But that's that's any game. That no, did, it's it not any game. I would disagree. No, see, I got a shake of the head over that's there. That's a lot of games. I would I would shake the head again. Okay. Tell me why I'm wrong. Because I change don't, my mind. Change your mind. I don't feel like if, if, if it was a lot of games, then... We would have a situation where everybody's going, oh, this game stinks because we're constantly having, you know, these these huge deficits in points. And I don't hear that. I don't see that. I don't read that about various games. You always hear about how the tightness of a game. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. And for me, any engine builder is susceptible to that. Wild swings and in-game points and feeling like maybe halfway through the game you're left out. And I think that that is a challenge in this game is you could definitely have, especially with a skilled player and a new player, it would be difficult to play a game and have the new player feel like they can be competitive. I feel like the in-game scores of this game can vary so wildly. I mean, they can frustrate people. That's something that people are going to be frustrated with when playing this game. I would compare it to like Wingspan, Terraforming Mars, other engine builders like that. But Predaporter, I feel like had that an even worse issue with that. And Tapestry is not far behind. It's, it's not quite as bad as that, but it is a challenge with this game is feeling like you can win at all points in the game, which I, I do think a game should strive to do. When you talk, talk about that, I'm going to want to play this again to show that I can do better. Yeah, that I'm going to be able to go out and score better than my measly 133 points. I need to do better. I need to hit another level on this game. So it's Terra Mystica for you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's Terra Mystica for me. I mean, I'm looking at Mark's, you said games. I'm like, Space Space, uh, you know, Terraforming space, Mars. Space. You know, for an engine builder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Okay, so I'm along those lines. But put it on the table. I'll be happy to play it again, unlike some other ones. I'm not going to name them. Good. As you should. <laughs> that you three love, but I don't. Ragusa. Uh, Ragusa? I'm so, I didn't he say didn't it. Name it. He wasn't going to name it. He named names. Well, when the other three of us love it, it's okay to name it. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which we keep playing like every time we get together, it seems. And everybody else that we play it with loves it. And everybody else. It was only Tony it was that only did not Tony. like it. But you're not wrong. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. No. I'm no. Not. Yeah. Not yeah. On this show. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Yeah. I'm used to that. Yeah. All right, guys. Final thoughts on the game. I mean, just kind of wrap this whole thing up. I'm with y'all. I would I would play it anytime you want to drop it on the table. Uh, I like it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, this time I didn't do very well. Uh, I also agree with Tony. I would like to try it again to see what kind of improvements I could make in my own gameplay. Uh, but yeah, I like it. I'm of mixed opinions on Tapestry. I feel like it's a weird amalgamation of games that I like, but it doesn't really fit anything. So a good example is that I love Civ games and Epic games and even random games. And this this game has tons of that, but it doesn't have the theme to pull that off. And then it also is a great Euro engine building game, but it has tons of randomness and unbalanced things that are going to frustrate gamers who like those kinds of games. So it's sort of like I love both of those sides that it brings to the table, and I really dislike both of the all those negatives that it brings to the table of those two types of games. Ultimately, it feels like it doesn't exactly know what it wants to be, and so it has some of the most amazing parts of all those genres, but a lot of the drawbacks of those genres too. Definitely give Stormar Games credit that it's a different style of game than the other games, which I think is cool. Lots of times, you know, designers can get caught up in kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but you can definitely tell it's from the same mind, but it has a, a totally different feel. And uh, I, I would say fi- finally for me, it's one of those things that if you want that sieve taste in a lot shorter amount, then I, w- I would definitely say you got to give this a try. Number one, it, it looks great. It was easy to learn. Yeah. We all watched uh, Rod- Rodney's video. Mark taught it. But uh, honestly, did we even reference the rule book once we sat down and started playing? Hey, the only thing we referenced were the cards that tell you about the different tech cards or how the uh, uh, some of the different cards were. But as far as the mechanics of what you do on your turn, it's really straightforward. So don't let the number of pieces you see on the table or hearing us two, two and a half hours intimidates you it's easy to learn the learning curve is really short but it's one of those things with every time you play there's a different faction and stuff getting good at it it's probably a steep curve final thoughts were said i think did i cover mine i think i did i think you probably did <laughs> so i think one, everybody knows how you feel about this game tony well okay so if we go to the dwarf scale where how the dwarfs were stacked happy was on top at the beginning and then Grumpy slowly moved his way up. <laughs> All right. I had fun. But then again, the company is always great. So that that, that helps. One thing uh, from the point out that happened, we had a lot of sidebar conversations going on during this game too. Did you notice that? I mean, it was just, about the game or other no, just stuff? Just in general, we were just like, it was Mark's turn and we were all talking about something else. I would lay that at the feet of like a Euro game. Mark's taking his turn. It doesn't really affect me. We can talk about the Dodgers. And then when it's my turn, I'll take my turn. Well, my spam story was important, man. That's, it was that a good was story. Yeah, I'll give that you that. It was solid. a good story. <laughs> you didn't like the gelatin spam. Ugh. No. <laughs> no spam. Okay. Well, I look at it like this over 25,000 games have been produced and we've got copy number 18. 1199 why couldn't you get 182 i do i didn't get to pick the game out it's just what they sent us man. okay so you know very popular game if you haven't got mm-hmm. a chance to play it it's like sitting in number one on bgg and has for weeks on the hotness yeah, yeah. On the hotness. super hot um we've all said we'd play it again oh yeah. yeah it's got it's got some drawbacks but as marty points out more games all games have, all games ha- ha- have drawbacks. And it's one of those things that not every game is for everybody. So we're, right. what we're trying to do is just tell you, if you haven't played this game yet, 
kind of what to expect. And, and Nate, you, you did a good job of saying it's like it's a lot of these different things. And if those things that you like in games are is what you've heard is, is in this one, then you're really going to like Tapestry from Stolmeyer Games. And I think the biggest positive out of all is it's a very simple to learn game. Don't yes. be intimidated. Yeah, that, I, that, I love that. In fact, uh, I think it was easier to me to learn than Scythe. Yes, um, for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. If if you're coming for like, oh man, Scythe was kind of kind of tough to learn. Way easier. I mean, and it has a the little reference card is just a little small mm-hmm. card, and literally on your turn, you spend some resources. The iconography. Once you learn the iconography on the board, it's very straightforward. You can see what you can do when you move up a track and you take that action. Then it's the next person's turn. So that's Tapestry, a civilization game designed by Jamie Stegmeyer. Put the box in front of me. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Again? Kind of. We already did it once. Oh, we already did it once? Yeah, yeah when I, we okay. first started. I know we did. You can do it again. Go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one of my favorite games from a while ago was the epic battle of Skullzor with the battle wizards. And when I saw Cryptozoic had coming out a deck builder along the same theme, and let's get this name the best we can. Let me see. We've got some poor lighting here, Marty, but we have got the, I swear to God, I cannot read it. How about epic spell wars of the battle wizards, Annihilageddon? I really need to go to an eye doctor. Epic <laughs> spell wars of the battle wizards, Annihilageddon, a deck building game. Plain and simple. That's what this is. And there's a big warning on this box. Warning contains awesome, awesome they use, mature content and profanity. For example, one of the cards on this thing is called Deep Sh- so, Marty, I know you had the beeper ready because I warned you about it. No, yeah, I, I did. I've got my finger on the uh, sensor button right here or the dump button. So this is a deck builder. There's not a whole lot of rules to go over here other than that you're um, playing cards to buy other cards to create damage to the other wizard that's uh, at the table. And whoever can defeat the wizards the most or, or scores the most victory points at the end of the game wins. And just like the original Epic Spell Wars, when Marty and I played it, in my opinion, I'll go right straight to the um, pros and cons for me is it stayed on the table a little too long. Well, I will say this is definitely for mature content, wouldn't you? No doubt. This is not for kids. It, in fact, if you possibly can get bothered by images and pictures and, and, and words, you want to stay as far away from this as possible. And I w- was felt so guilty for laughing at so many of these stupid images. Uh, it was like I was a little high school kid. It's uh, yeah. So like you said, it, it's core. It's a it's a deck building game. And every time you deal enough damage to knock out a wizard, you get a wizard token. And the person with the most wizard tokens at the end wins. I agree, Tony. It's one of those things that, especially if you play multiplayer, you're constantly knocking out wizards and knocking them out. And it's hard to get majority kills in that aspect. The original game stayed on the table a little long. This one might too, but you can't always decrease the number of times a wizard dies before you know, the, the game ends. The humor in this is the cards and the art and the stuff that you say while you're playing the game because you're trying to get monsters out to attack other people and you're trying to buy these cards that come into play. Now, Tony, I did like the Mayhem cards. Those were Mayhem. cool. Mm-hmm. Mayhem were good where they would cause 
mayhem to occur. Imagine that. And it would create issues for all the players. I agree with you. That was one of me, one of my pros as well. The mayhem cards. Cause you know, when the overkill grill hits the thing and on top of it, eat shit, sucker is played. You got some mayhem coming at you or better yet. The big, the BFG. I don't need to go over the F. The G is for gorillas. A gorilla is popping people's heads off. That's one of the cards. Or here's one of my favorite classics out of, that came from it was the huge, it's a cemetery and it's got a big tibia sticking out of it. So it's called the huge boner. Oh my heavens. That's another classic card that created a huge combo. <laughs> All right. And then final, the last spell that I would like to talk about for Marty, you got your finger on the big button here. Cause I very seldom say I've this word. It. I've got it. I don't drop this bomb very often, but it says it right on the card. Miss me. <laughs> Oh, so play. Oh my gosh. Oh, we are in trouble. (laughs) Good thing the FCC does not look at podcasts, but oh. So if you like this mature content, if you want to try a deck builder, Battle Wizards of Analageddon, I'm telling you, it's a straight deck builder. Nothing new here other than the crude humor that's on these cards, as long as the drawings. Even the drawings are crude. Yeah, even the drawings. I mean, there is one, uh, the Dragon Horde, and it's not H-O-A-R-D, it's yeah. W-A- yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so here's the thing. And we wanted to emphasize some of these cards because if you're thinking about getting it, we just want to let you know what you're getting into. Look, it's a basic deck builder. If you got That's a it. lot of if you got a lot of friends that can get into this sort of thing, it would be one of those crazy late night things that you just laugh and get together and play a basic deck build and try to knock each other out. That's what this is. But just be forewarned what you're getting into. Tony, I did love the original that came out. I thought, and this is totally different because this is a deck building game. So I'll let you close this one out. Do you have one more card for us by chance? There's always Cthulhu's balls. (laughs) Five minute initiative is complete. That's right, Preda Porter, it is out. If you want to get into that cutthroat world of fashion, I recommend that you go try out Preda Porter. Also, he's got the expansion coming out for Empires of the North. That's the Japanese islands, right, Marty? Or did I get yes. it close? Yes, there it is. So you've got that happening. And don't forget in November, the long-awaited multi-year hiatus of Stronghold Undead will be out for Kickstarter. That's right. Save your money. Put it on your Christmas list. Put it on that holiday shopping cart. It's something that you want and that you need. It's Stronghold Undead. Hopefully, Marty and I will get to play the promo and we'll be able to report back on it. How about the proto? How about the proto? The proto type. Yeah, yeah, I said promo. promo. The promo. But that's right. The prototype. So be sure to check them out over at PortalGamesUS.com. It's October. 
it's Halloween month, and around the Connell household, the War of the Worlds story is one of the big highlights every year, which was why, when I had a chance to play War of the Worlds, the new wave board game from Gray Fox Games, I had to get my son Adam on to come and play it with me and talk about this game, because Adam... Each year we have a special tradition here in the Connell household when it comes to War of the Worlds. We do. And uh, that tradition centers around Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds, specifically listening to it because we only listen to it during the month of October. This has actually been a tradition that's been going on for me for decades. Mm. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds musical came out in like the late 70s, 77, 78. It's a two album musical. At the time it was it was albums. Well, we'll actually, come back to that in a actually. second. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, of albums. It basically tells the entire story of the War of the Worlds, pretty much just like the book. And growing up, uh, that book from H.G. Wells is my favorite books of all time. And it always reminded me of Halloween because I guess you know about the uh, the old radio uh, story of that ha- happened back in the uh, the early 1900s. Orson Welles, Orson not H.G. Right, where on like um, October 30th, they did a radio drama, mm-hmm. and people actually thought aliens had invaded the United States. In America, at least, it's associated with Halloween. And then a really bad Tom Cruise movie. We're not. We're, we're not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rothbat, let me just say, if you've never checked out Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds musical, it is really good. It's timeless, because when you go back and listen to it, you think, okay, there are some sounds and some rhythms and stuff on here that's like, okay, this is from the 70s, but they used some super high-tech synths. The, the way it was um, orchestrated was really well done. It had a lot of big names on it. It was uh, narrated by Richard Burton. There was a lot of big... Uh, stars on there like uh, Justin Hayward from uh, the Moody Blues has mm-hmm. a song on Phil there. Phil Reinot from Thin Lizzy yep. has a big feature. That's right. So they have all these big names to come in and do this. And actually, this past year, we talked about albums. We were in a used album store in Nashville and came across, I don't know if it's a first printing, but probably not. It, it, but. It probably not, but it's it's pretty close to one of the original. We mm. found the in an amazing condition, the album. And so this year, we put it on the turntable and listened mm-hmm. to it for the first time as in album form. It's amazing. And, and we discovered that it, it is, in fact, four records, not two. No, it is two. It's, it's two four records, si- four it, sides. <laughs> put together in the most befuddling way possible, because one of the discs is sides one and three. Yes. And the other one is two and four. Right. So if when you listen to the first side, you're like, oh, great. You don't just flip it over. You got to get out the next record the next vinyl and put it on and then listen to it then take it off then take the other side of the other one <laughs> which I, is really weird i don't know why they they had to print it like that maybe they didn't maybe it's a mistake in which case we're probably sitting on something more valuable than we realized i but, hope so but anyway you can find this on youtube amazon uh prime music you can listen to it for free but i recommend it but what we're here to talk about today is the board game uh, that was recently Jeff wayne's war of the world's <laughs> musical board game it requires a thorough knowledge of the the score itself why didn't we listen to it while we were playing we're idiots. We're, we're, we're dum-dums. Sometimes. Anyway, uh, this is uh, a Kickstarter that was previously uh, done by Gray Fox Games. It's now out and being shipped. And it's from uh, Dennis Plastinine uh, is the designer. And what excited me about this, not just the theme, but this is a deck building game where deck building is just the mechanic in order to progress the game. But actually what it is, is it's a two-player asymmetric game. One person places Martians. The other plays as humans. Humans are trying to deal damage to the Martians, and the Martians are trying to wipe out the humans. And the deck building mechanic is deploying units on the board, moving units around, Mm -hmm. building buildings, 
dealing damage. It is going to be called a deck building game. And when you look up, look it up under genre or tags or whatever, it's going to say deck building game. But really, honestly, I, I, it feels like a two player strategy game, like a head to head strategy game. And it gets pretty deep. There were moments where I was seriously considering actions and thinking about your movement and my movement and what can and can't be done. During the game, I was often like frustrated at the game for, right. for, for the restrictions it placed on me or the restrictions it placed on you. But at the end of the game, now that I'm looking at it, that, that was actually a really smart way to force you to consider moves more carefully and really think about what you're doing. It kind of reminds me, and I don't think you've played this, was um, Undaunted uh, Normandy, which recently came out this year, which is also a deck building game with a World War II theme, where the deck building mechanic is deploying units on the board and moving them. So it has that same sort of feel. Mm. But this is done on a board as opposed to that one's kind of made up of, of map tiles and everything. And there's a campaign mode for this. This is really just one thing. You're either trying, the Martians are trying to wipe 30 human civilian cubes, cubes off the board, or the humans are trying to deal a total of 30 damage to the Martians, whether it be the tripods, the UFOs, or their buildings. And in classic deck building form, each of you start with 10 cards. You're going to draw five cards. Uh, you have money to spend on a market. Each of you have a market, your own unique market of five cards that you can spend resources on to add things to your deck, which allows you maybe to add some more buildings, more units, etc. So it has that same sort of feel. But Adam, when we play, and we've both played uh, as, as each other faction. We both play mm. as humans and Martians. And the Martians are way more like they are the Zerg. They come in hard and they're dealing damage just as fast as you can. When you start the game as the Martians, you're, you're set to go. Your opening hand, you can deal damage straight from the get-go. Like, and you can deal a lot of damage straight from the get-go. On the other hand, the humans, when you start out the game, you can't really do anything. You've, you've got cards that enable you to buy things and you can do like, you know, ping damage on the tripod with a couple of the cards. But really, there's nothing you can do at the start of the game as a human except prepare for the later portion. And as the game goes on, it tends to favor the humans in the long game. Mm -hmm. And I was telling Adam, I said, you know, it's kind of like uh, so there's some magic decks which are in for the long game. And those are kind of tough to play if you're going up against a deck that's really fast. So you got to be a little bit more tricky, a little bit try. You got to have more control over the game state so that you can get to the end where it's like, okay, now that we're here, I'm going to dominate you. Yeah. Uh, at first, when we played, uh, you just wiped me away. You were the Martians, I was the humans, and just absolutely blew me away. I said, okay, let's swap. And we started playing. You're right. You were sitting there saying, the humans, how do you win? How do you win? And mm -hmm. you ended up winning by one. <laughs> you dealt 30 damage, and there was one human civilian cube left yep. on the board that I was chasing down to try to win. Now, I, I've, they've done a great job, the designers, of ensuring it's going to be a close game every time. Because well, not that first game. I, it wasn't close. Even, even and with, I'll, I'll talk about why in a second. Even with us fumbling around the first game, you still did over half damage. Oh, well, that's true. Even yep. not really knowing what you were doing, you still were able to get over halfway uh, as I ended the game, you, I think you were at like 20 damage or 20 something, something like yeah. that. So, uh, and, and it's one of those things where the last 15 damage for the humans, you go, you go up to 30 damage, by the way. So the last 15 damage for the human goes super fast and the first 15 is super slow. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just one of those kind of things. But our first game, like you, you just straight up, you, you didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what to do when right. I started the humans and even I was familiar with like what they did, but it is, it's very challenging to play as a human. And a lot of the cards are basically evacuating and shifting the humans around on the board. So right. you have a map of Britain 
and there's divided up into regions. And when you first populate the board, a lot of there's 10 different regions with uh, three humans in each region. And over the course of the game, you're moving these uh, humans around. You're uh, putting up army units and tanks and stuff to try and deal damage as you try to disperse the humans. And in our first game, I was doing a lot of clustering of humans, which was stupid because that was fish in a barrel. Uh, what happened was, Adam, in your game, towards the end, you just spread the human cubes out all over the map. So I was having to chase those guys down. Meanwhile, you had set up a couple army units heading towards my buildings and just pinging my buildings and dealing damage that way. And that's one of the things that's asymmetrical about it. The humans have buildings that can be destroyed by the Martians. They basically act as another civilian, unless it's a fort with more damage. So, but you have to destroy the buildings before you can destroy the civilians. Right. But the Martian buildings stick around. They, they stay there and you can deal damage to them over and over and over. And that adds up to your 30 that you do to the units as well. That's something you didn't really do in the first game either, was look at the buildings and do damage to the buildings, which is free damage that we learned. Well, remember the at the end of the game, I said, oh my gosh, why didn't I just go up there and start trying yep. to ping your buildings? And you did that. Yep. There are There's a naval unit that you can put out on the board that goes around the, uh, the great uh, British Isles. And you basically uh, put up a naval unit right beside one of my buildings. So then, great. So I'm trying to send a tripod or a UFO up towards you to take out that naval uh, building because like every round you were just like pinging me for damage and I couldn't stop you. And we were thought, that doesn't make any sense. Why can human buildings be destroyed but Martians can't? Well, that's the thing. If it could have been destroyed, then you'd have to try to find some other way to damage me. Now mm -hmm. you just park a Navy ship or Thunderchild. <gasps> well, no, Thunderchild was afraid. It was a. Uh, it wasn't. No, Thunderchild no, yeah, was, was a, a battleship. Uh, it, was it was a, a battleship. battleship. Thunderchild is actually from the, uh, the book, and it was one of the few ways where the humans took down a tripod. Mm -hmm. It was the only it way. Was the, it was the only way that yeah. the humans took down a tripod. Uh, I think there was like a, some cannon that maybe shot one down. Yeah, but. yeah, you're right. I think they found, but Thunderchild for sure uh, went out there and took out one uh, because a lot of people were trying to escape at that time. Yeah. And uh, there's a great song on the soundtrack. Great song. About Thunderchild. It, it's called Thunderchild. Thunder Child. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so Thunderchild's out there parked uh, off the coast just pinging my building. So I'm trying to rush a unit up there to try to take it out. Meanwhile, every turn, you're you're running this one little civilian cube around the board <laughs> to, to stay away from yeah. me. And and that, I think, is when the game changed. Like At the start, I was doing what you were doing, which is what you naturally want to do, right? I've, I've played a lot of strategy games, played mm -hmm. a lot of RTSs, so I, I know that if... I'm the humans in this situation and I can build things like forts and battlements. I'm going to cluster everything together, just stack a bunch of things right there and then I'll just I'll just be safe. But that is absolutely not the case in this game because the Martians with just two cards can burn through all of that and then half of your civilians that you put there are gone. So as soon as I just gave up on that and shotgun the civilians everywhere, that's when the game changed because your UFO had to go one place, the tripod had to go the other and I was free to take my armies to you. And the resource is also interesting, too. The Martian cards are really expensive, and the human cards tend to be a little bit less. They do. I did notice that. And so early on, I'm trying to save up all this money to try buy some of these better cards, and you were just buying these uh, cards, a lot of evacuates for yep. eventually over the course of the game, you're just like shifting cubes all over the place. It, it was to the point where every turn I, I could move for five to seven times, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy. One place where I think this game is brutal, though, is you can really hurt yourself mm -hmm. in that a lot of these cards are, mm -hmm. hey, you'll get two resources, but if you destroy this card and take it out of the game, you'll get three. Or there may be this thing where, hey, uh, there's a gorilla card where a civilian can just ping a damage against a tripod. But if you 
destroy it and take it out of the game, you can deal it too. When I played as humans... Yeah, tell them what happened the first game there. Yeah, so I burned through the cards. I bought several big cards and and, and burned through the cards that generated me resources. And then all of a sudden, I had none. And you just couldn't buy anything. I had a hand of five or six and couldn't afford to buy anything else. Mm -hmm. I literally ruined myself. I mean, there was nothing I could do. Destroyed all your cards. It's like you starting up a game of magic and just saying, you know what? I'm forfeiting all my land cards. Yeah. That's exactly what you did. That's exactly. And it was was idiotic. And it's one of those things that never in a deck builder have I gotten to a situation where I couldn't buy something. And you can get into that situation with the Martians too. You can get into but. I kind of like that, though. I kind of like that the game forces you to think, oh, do I want to discard this card? Do I not? How many of these do I have left in my deck? I like that there's there are absolutely no training wheels on this game. No. Like, you can screw yourself. Turn one if you wanted to. Well, and, and, and I did first game. And I almost did. I kind of did with the Martians, too, because I spent my only UFO card immediately. So for the rest of the game, my UFO was sitting there doing nothing because I was spending all my money on tripod cards, and you were using your UFO all over the place, which is great because the UFO can't be destroyed well, it can't be dealt damage like the tripod can. Right. But there is another UFO card you can buy, but it costs like seven. But now, it costs and like when seven. you buy that second UFO card, it allows you to deploy a second UFO, but then it's in your deck to move the other UFO too. Mm-hmm. But it costs seven, and seven is a lot seven in this is a game. Lot in this game, yeah. Yeah, you're you're so, going to need to discard cards to get seven resources, usually. Resource management is really tight. Uh, resources are really hard to come by. For both factions. For both factions. So when you play this game, be careful. Do not discard a lot of your big cards in order to buy that one big card. Because if you do, you got no cards left in your deck to buy anything else, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of the things that I think it's kind of nitpicky you, you got to uh, uh, look out for. You made an interesting observation when we played. It's like you didn't feel it was asymmetric as what you hoped it would be. What did you mean by that? It is asymmetrical in that... The Martian buildings can't be destroyed. The human buildings can't. The human units can be destroyed. The Martian units cannot. You have different cards. Totally different decks, yeah. And that's it. Other than that, the gameplay for either is the exact same. You're playing cards to put down units. You're playing cards to move those units. You're playing cards to deal damage with those units. The only difference is what you're dealing damage to. The play style is different, yes. But when you're playing the game, I didn't feel like I was playing a different game as the humans than I was as the Martians, which is what I kind of want slash expect from an asymmetrical game. I want to feel like a different gameplay experience on the other side of the table. And I didn't really feel that way. That's not that's not necessarily a knock against no. the game. Absolutely not. But I, I didn't I didn't consider it to be asymmetrical. And then like even the cards themselves, even though they're different, they do the same thing. Like there's one card to do damage. There's a card to move. And they might have different like add-ons to it. Like the Martian card says, move and deal a damage or the human card says move or deal or just things like that where there, there are subtle differences but by and large i felt like it was the same gameplay experience uh i tend to agree and there's one other thing that you uh you pointed out to yeah that, that I, I can't get over yeah go ahead yeah when you pull the cards out of the out of the box i think a lot about this we're but I, i'm big into design i mean whenever we watch a dallas cowboys game on TV, I oh always go on this diatribe about how the blues are different and the silvers are different on their home uniform. Two different shades of blue. Two di- anyway, I, I have a strong opinions about design and that sort of thing. So when you pull the game out of the box, the art is beautiful. The game is beautiful. Like All the components are great. And they the cards look different for the Martians and the humans. The Martian cards have this like sleek alien look and the humans have more of a Victorian kind of industrial tone to them the martians are blue and the humans are red (laughs) the martians are blue and the humans are red the martians who 
and plant the red weed <laughs> who come from the red planet are blue. And the humans of Great Britain who wear blue are red. <laughs> I didn't even think about it until you said it. And then I can't get over it. I, I can't. It's like, you're right. If you were just pull out and go, which one's the Martians? Well, obviously oh, the, the red, red or one. the Martians. What, 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 that's the red planet. You look in the sky, it's it's the one that's red. No, they're, they're blue. <laughs> so, I don't know what you're thinking about. I thought that we've, uh, after you pointed that out, we thought, okay, that's that's really interesting. It's not, you know, it's not a negative or anything. It's just no, like, it's, it's odd. It's, just, that it's like, yeah. why weren't the Martians uh, red? So uh, this game probably takes us about what thirty to forty minutes to finish. Yeah, it was it's pretty a quick, quick game. Pre- especially when we knew what we were doing. Like I, I sat down and I was like, "Well, we, let's, let's play a few rounds just so I can know." And we wound up finishing the game in like forty minutes. So yeah, it, it's yeah. super quick. I love the theme of it. You don't see a lot of War of the Worlds uh, type themes. I'm excited yeah. about. Supposedly, there's a BBC show that's coming out. Yep. Uh, War of the Worlds. I can't, I can't wait to see. So, if you like two player games, and I love games that use the deck building mechanic in different ways, such as Undaunted Normandy, Tyrants of. Oh my gosh! I'm sitting there. I'm trying to find the box on the shelf. The Tyrants of the Underdark Underworld. It's the uh, it Dungeons and Dragons D&D theme. Tyrants of the Underdark. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, which is a deck building game, but it's uh, it's an area control game where yeah. you use uh, cards. So I enjoy that too. Yeah. This is one of those that just because of the theme alone and everything, it's going to stay on my shelf. Uh, it's it's a quick game. It's easy to learn, easy to set up. And maybe next year when Halloween comes around, we play War of the Worlds, the mm. musical from Jeff Wayne for the first time. As we do, maybe we pull this out on the table and play Absolutely. it Absolutely. It is so thematic. So thematic. And, and it... it they did a great job with the War of the Worlds theme and everything. It, it's a fantastic adaptation of that. So there you go. Go out to Gray Fox Games website. Check it out. And by the way, you can buy the upgrades. I don't know if you knew this, Adam, where they know. come with little plastic models. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So what we have now are little cardboard standees. Are they, but they have painted or unpainted? Unpainted. Ah, okay. All yeah. right. I'm into it. So they come out I'll plastic paint the Martians models. red. <laughs> well, you know, you got to go with the deck color. It's got to be blue. <sighs> Ooh la! They have glowing green eyes, right? Well, it's like like a heaving bear. Is what it was when he came out of the top of the. Yeah, and and what is it? His mouth was slithering, slithering like wet like leather. Wet leather. There it is. <laughs> the quote from the book and the musical. All right, there you go, Adam. Thanks for joining me. No problem. All right, I'm gonna go throw the album and listen to it right now. Sounds good. Well, remember, it's one and three, two and four, not. So. Got it. Yeah. Tony, you still enjoying your switch? Well, I didn't take it to the beach, and I'm having wow. withdrawals. I know. I well, once again, old eyes, which was obvious in the the five minute on uh, Analog Eden, where I couldn't even read the box. I need the big screen. I've gotten so used to that. But yes, I am loving my switch. I'm very excited for um. Which oh, which brings me to a question that was part of the show notes that didn't get posted. You ready? I'm ready. Sword or shield? 
I am, I assume you're assuming to, uh, referring to Pokemon. Uh, of course, I always throw these things out here so you can clarify what I'm saying so people understand. We actually had a discussion around the dinner table tonight. Mm. Brett and Travis are going to do Sword, and me and Adam are going to do Shield. All right. Are y'all buying the duo packs? Yes, we are. Two duo packs. All right. That tells me that I am SOL. That's okay. <laughs> why, why is that? Because you've got three boys that all have switches in you, so that makes the duo packs work for you. So now here I am thinking, oh, well, Marty's going to need somebody to go in with, and he's going to need to get a duo pack, and then we can get the duo pack. But no, you've got your boys that you can get the duo pack with. I'll, have to, I'll see if Bert wants to get in with me and get the duo pack. To be honest, I don't think the duo pack's any cheaper. I think it's $120 for the two of them, and that's the same as Brian, two individually. That's right, but it's the promos that you get with the duo pack. Oh, there are promos? Yeah, like if you buy a certain promo, a duo pack, and I forget if it's, I don't think it's GameStop, but there's one where you get two codes, so that if you have the one code, then you can get the special um, Pokemon that you would get in the in the Shield version. If you had Sword, you uh. can get them. And I'll have to go back and research that. I was watching, um, I think it's, it's John Plays Games, and he was talking about the various uh, differences that you would get from Sword and Shield. Now, I'll admit, I I'm leaning more towards the Sword mm -hmm. because of Sir Fetched. I just went with whatever was left over. It really didn't matter to me. But if you do go with Sword, then you do have a person, me, with Shield, so we can do some trading. Well, there's the reason enough right there. Does anybody else out there like Pokemon? T Tony and I <laughs> obsessed over Red and Blue when it came out in the late 90s and stinking love that game and cannot wait to play a, a full version uh, of it again. Yeah, and it's gotten so much easier now with being online and trading. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember with the Game Boys who had to pull out the cables? <laughs> The Game Boy connector cable, connect them up so we could do the trades. I remember going to Blockbuster and renting the opposite one, <laughs> yes. opposite color, and I would hook up two Game Boys and I would trade back and forth so I could get all the you know get the all all three starters that oh. you could pick from. Comes out the middle of November, which means I need to finish up. Uh, Link's Awakening, so I can be prepared for this because that's all I'm going to be playing is when that sucker comes out. I got to catch them all, baby. Which means something's going to hurt my backing of Stronghold Undead and Honey Buzz from Elf Creek Games. Ooh, ooh. Well, now you'll just have to go to get an extra job. Okay, I can do that. Selling a kidney, I understand. <laughs> you know, speaking of the Switch, you know, obviously a lot of people are really into video games right now, and your kids are probably really into the Switch too, especially with the Switch Lite coming out. But since this is a board game podcast, I want to tell you about this really cool thing that Yellow, I-E-L-L-O, has. It's called the 8-Bit Box. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, Tony, but it looks like the box looks like an SNES. It looks like a big console game. And the game comes with what looks like controllers in it. But it's actually just like uh, little dials for selecting like uh, directions or numbers or, or patterns. Uh, uh, shapes on them and what happens is, is inside this game there are three games that look like cartridges so it looks like snes controllers and it looks like little snes boxes but each of the boxes are a separate board game 
And there's three different ones. There's Pac-Man, where basically it's like a it's a programming thing where you program uh, the direction you want your. I'm gonna, it's not really Pac-Man, but it looks like it that you want your Pac-Man to go in order to pick up pellets, etc. Try to uh, chase the other people and baddies on the board. And then there's also a racing game that looks exactly like F-Zero. You have these little uh, cardboard ships that you put together, and what you do is you program your movements using the controller. When you reveal it, you know you move that way, so you're trying to race and. And the last one is like a, a, a an Olympic style game where you have these different events that you're going to be competing over. But this is probably the, the coolest of them all. It's like a it's like a, an auction game where you have a certain number of cubes at the beginning of the game and you're bidding how many cubes you want to commit to certain events. And then you resolve the bids and determine who wins the different events. And the goal is try to win as many events as possible. The reason why I bring this up is because if you do have kids that are into video games and stuff, this is a great way to get them to put down like the Switch or the iPad or whatever and sit at the table and play a board game that has a video game feel to it. Uh, and like I said, it's it's analogous to three other games that you probably know. Most of them are short. The Pac-Man and racing game are like 15, 20 minutes long. The the competitive game, the uh, Olympic style game is all is from 30 to 40 minutes. So it's a little bit longer. And actually that's a better game for adults. But what's cool is, and I got to see this, it was either Origins or Gen Con, they're coming out with additional games. Uh, meaning they're just going to come out with what looks like a little SNES box that has other type games in it. So once you have the base set, the 8-bit box, you can just buy these expansions and have a brand new game to play with the base set. I just thought it's a really cool uh, concept, Tony, and I think it would be great for kids. So I'm buying additional cartridges for my game. That's exactly the concept behind it. Mm -hmm. You buy the base console, the base game, and then just buy additional uh, games with it, and they're not very expensive at all. And it comes with three. That is kind of interesting. I wish they had come out when Rebecca was younger. Now she's off and gone. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's kind of hard for me to justify this. There's a lot of board games coming out of digital versions of video games. Like one that we got, Tony, I just cannot wait to play with you sometime. City Skylines, mm. uh, which is a, a, a city building game like SimCity. We're going to be getting that to the table soon. But So a lot of uh, companies are coming out with you know video game-like board games. But this is like the closest there is because you have the controller-looking thing and, and the actual cartridges that are individual games themselves. So that's 8-bit box from yellow i think this will make a great christmas present for your kids are you going to get a ring the switch the ring isn't that what it's called that exercise thing you know how they came out with the oh, Wii Fit? all that I, I don't know that looks so gimmicky i'm gonna have to see it's one of those things if it really works vanessa will be into it because she's been asking for some sort of exercise app mm-hmm. and i thought well this this might could be it I mean, the number of people that say they have a switch and if that equal the number of listeners we have on RDTN three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for listening, mom. Then, you know, you did the um, push up challenge last Christmas. Right. So if you want to go spend $70, I wonder if you could post challenges on that device. That'd be interesting. Yeah, Online. That would be. So I was just curious if you want to buy the ring. Yeah, I'll have to wait and see. Who knows? Maybe that's a family gift for Christmas. But oh, too many good games, man. Both video games, board games. Oh, by the way, I was mentioned. I was going to say this during the Portal commercial. So we have the expansion for Empires of the North coming out, right? The Japanese Islands. Well, the promo card that was made for RDTN that we got back over the summer that we've been giving out to a lot of our backers is now available for anyone. If you want to, you can go to our podpledge.com 
page and, and we have a store out there. And in the store, you can order one of the Empires of the North promo cards. What's great is you only need one per game and we have a $5 cost. And if you're in the U S shipping is free. So just drop five bucks. Tony will get it in the mail to you. And if it's international, then we're going to, it's going to be like, uh, see the two or $3 shipping and handling, and we'll get you that too. So if you're looking for a promo card and Tony, I will say, if you like empires of the North, this is actually a good card to have in your collection because it gives, it goes to the first player and it gives you the option to get uh, some additional people, which are very valuable during the game. Yes. And I will get those out to you. I'm currently, I've got to order some card protectors because when I send them, I do not want them to be damaged. When I moved, Marty, that was, I had, I must have had a stack of 50 baseball card protectors. Let me ask you this. Did you have a stack of 50 baseball card protectors for baseball cards or was it for the Lord of the Rings trading we did in the mail? Yes, (laughs) it was. It was the Lord of the Rings and I had, I had that stack and I'm like, I'll never use these again. Recycle bin. Oh. And, I, and I'm just like, oh man. So I've got to get it. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, where? I went to Walmart looking for these things because you know they have that display of cards and everything. Yep. yep. And they didn't have any. They had the big sheet protectors. And then Tarjay doesn't have any. I'm like, oh man. So Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we'll be getting those out to you if you've ordered them. And if you didn't know about them, uh, please go. We got a lot. So go out there and order you one. Like I said, you only need one copy per game. That's that's the great thing about it. And we'll get it out there to you. And uh, it's one of those things I think once you use once, you'll probably use every game because it really is a nice card. And it's one of those abilities that once you use it, you pass it to the player to your left. So everybody eventually gets the chance to play it and use it. And one last thing, Marty. Those were some nice looking plugs you got. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Did you have some good plugs? Uh, Yeah, I came back. I actually paid a guy because um, he... um, Let's just say that I wanted him to do it right, so I hired a guy to do it, and so he had some good plugs. And we're not talking about hair plugs, though. I could probably use some of those, too. Same here. So, um, But those are, are the aeration is done. We're ready to move on. And once again, keep rolling dice. <laughs> That's the worst transition to an ending. But it's a transition. <laughs> Deal with it. Fine. Keep rolling dice. Okay. Okay. Hold on. And taking names. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Like I said, if you want to support the show, you can go out to podpledge.com while you're out there. You can order yourself one of the Empires of the North promo cards. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, join our BGG Guild 1589, and like us on Facebook. Sorry for the bad transition, but I got to go to the bathroom. Taco Bell's calling. Earlier this year, Tony and I had a long discussion about how when we order something for Miniature Market, it goes through FedEx and ends up sitting in the FedEx office outside of Charlotte for before a couple days before it gets here. Well, Tony, have you seen that Miniature Market now has an agreement with UPS will now be handling all their deliveries and tony did you see according to their map when you order something from miniature market it will get to your doorstep in north carolina in just two days yes i did see that and i'm very excited that will allow me to be able like spend a lot of money on their 85 percent rest in peace sale that just hit if you missed out on some of those great deals get ready you know 
Thanksgiving Black Friday's coming, so you got to get ready for some miniature market more closeout deals. But I am very excited for UPS. That's right, because if you spend $99 or more, you're going to get free shipping now from UPS, which is going to end up delivering faster. To find out more, go to miniaturemarket.com. Mm-hmm.